Before we get into our message this morning, I ask you to come to our scripture reading for this morning, which is Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and our Heavenly Father, we come before you to bless your name forever and ever. We come before you to speak your praise and to lift your goodness before our generations and before all nations. God, I thank you so much for the generations represented here in this church. From the youngest of babies and newborns, we thank you for the dedication that we got to partake in last week. And Lord, we are a church that we are blessed to hear the noises of children. We are not dying out for lack of our young people. And Lord, from the youngest on up to the oldest, Lord, we thank you for these generations that are represented here. Lord, we ask that as your church, that you would guide and direct the way we interact with one another, and that each of us would commend your works to each other, that as one suffers, that we all would suffer, that as one has joy, we all would have joy, and that as one struggles in their faith, that all others would come around them and support them and lift them up and continue to carry one another through 
as we all have our own valleys and mountaintops with you that we walk through on a daily basis. And we know that whether we are in the valley or on the mountain, you are there and you are good and you are God, but you have given us your, your people, your church, that we don't have to always put on a brave face and a good face, but that we might support and care for one another no matter what the circumstances. And Lord, may we always throw our cares upon you. That we would cry out to you when we need to cry out. That we wouldn't hold it to ourselves, but that we would be faithful in that. That we would come before you and be honest before you of where we're at physically and spiritually and mentally and emotionally and always, Lord. And God, as we worship together this morning, we ask that you would direct our hearts and our eyes towards you. It is a joy to come and worship you, and we pray that you would help us to feel that and experience that this morning. We think of those who cannot be with us, and we pray that you would either bring them back to health or bring them back to the area or whatever it might be, Lord, and we just ask that you would watch over your people who cannot gather together with us this morning. God, I thank you in particular this morning for our brothers and sisters who are working on our technology and sound end as we've tried to figure out some issues with internet connection and whatever that is ongoing. And God, we thank you for these men and women who have been willing to fight with the technological beast over these last months. And we ask that you would cause these things to work well and work together. For God, you are the God of all things and technologies included. God, we commit this service to your care. We commit each one here and each one who will hear this message to your care. We ask that in all of these things that you would be honored and glorified. Praise things in Jesus' name. So, brothers and sisters, I hope this morning that for those of you who are hockey fans, that you have the energy after staying up late last night to watch the Oilers win, and that none of you who are Flames fans would be too distracted by the game upcoming, and that we would be able to gather together and worship in a way that is focused on our God. But before we get too far into our things this morning, I do have a few acknowledgments I'd like to make. Um, first, I do want to wish our brother, Rick Peters, a happiest of 75th birthdays. It is a blessing to have you among us, and for most of you, you will know that Rick served this church faithfully over these many years, and I was privileged to serve with him on the elders' council as well. And it also is a day to celebrate his retirement, too. Some of you will have seen an email that went out inviting you. They're having a celebration at the soccer fields in St. Paul today at 2 o'clock. So if you want to join soccer fields in St. Paul. I also have to extend my heartfelt gratitude to my brothers on the Elders' Council. Because of the faithful ministry of them and others, I was able to get down to Montana last week to visit my first nephew, 
and watch my sister-in-law graduate from Montana Bible College and also just have a lovely holiday with my family while we were at it. Come home from the holiday and now I need a vacation, but it's a beautiful thing to travel down and spend time with the family and celebrate. And as, as a pastor whose heart is for the flock here at Elkhorn Baptist Church, I only really get to unplug. I stayed on the top of a mountain where there was next to no cell service, and I only really got to unplug and take that time away because I knew that I left the church in the faithful hands of my brothers on the elders' council. And it is a blessing beyond words that I can say. Um, I know I've probably said this before, but at the preaching conference I went to earlier this year, so many of the pastors were shocked that I was coming back from the preaching conference and didn't have to then prepare a message in two days to bring to my church. They were shocked that in a church of our size that I had several brothers I could call upon to preach. And it is an incredible blessing that I have in, in our church. So my thanks for that, in particular to, to Tim for his faithful handling of the word as he dove into Philippians 2. I hope that all of you were here for that and got to see it in person. Uh, it was, it's such an amazing text, and Tim did an amazing job working on it. And I encourage that if you weren't here to see it, and if you haven't yet watched it online, to do so. That's one of the blessings that we have in our, in our age is we can post all of our services online for those who can't be here. And Tim's treatment of Philippians 2 was more than worth going back and watching and listening to and applying to our hearts. And it was also a, a tremendously joyful service as well. And I would pray sincerely, as Tim had said, that our church would have the mind of Christ amongst ourselves, that we would deal with one another in humility as Christ has come and taken on the form of a man. I also would fail if I neglected to mention the parent and child dedication of Josh and Paula and Celine. It's such a, like I said, such a beautiful thing that we have so many young ones in this church. And I was sad that I wasn't able to be here, but at the same time, it was exciting for me to be able to hand that off to some of my brothers and let them get to experience that. But I want to reaffirm that I, as your pastor, and we as your church are 100% behind you and your family in the raising of Celine. We are her family just as we are your family, and we are fellow members of Elk Point Baptist Church. little plug here for church membership, too. I know that formal church membership has, to some extent, fallen by the wayside these days, many people not really seeing a a benefit to bother with becoming a member of a church. I just come to church and I participate, and that's, that's good enough. But one of the beauties in church membership is there's a covenant made. We covenant as a church with our members that we will stand with them and minister to them and support them. And the prospective member covenants to the church that they will serve and care for and be a part of the church body that is represented here. 
this mutual concern for one another and this mutual covenant binds us in something that is much more akin to a family. We weren't made to float in and out of families. We were made to commit and covenant to a family. Hence why we have the ordinance of marriage. And that is also why we encourage you to take up church membership wherever God has placed you. Because you are joining a family and you are saying, I am a part of this family and I will minister with and to this family and the gifts that God has given me will be used in this family. And the membership of this church have committed to Josh and Paula that they will help and care for and serve them as they raise Celine. And we will. So, off of that soapbox now. Last plug, if anyone does want to talk about a parental or child dedication or about church membership, please don't hesitate to seek out myself or one of the other elders. We will be holding another specific child dedication service likely in the fall. I know that there are kind of a couple that would want to participate in that, so if you're interested, please let me know. For our message this morning, we are going to obviously re-engage in this Hall of Fame of Faith that we've been talking about in Hebrews chapter 11. And now we get to kind of one of the all-time superstars of the Hebrew people. That, of course, being Abraham. He is the root and the beginning of the Israelite people. And we're going to talk through just a part of Abraham's story. It's interesting that as you look through this Hall of Fame of Faith, you will see over and over again just blurbs on each person. Abel, Enoch, Noah, and then all of a sudden Abraham and Sarah get a huge chunk of this chapter, and for good reason. He has much to tell us about what it looks like to be people of faith. So would you look with me at Hebrews chapter 11? We'll start in verse 8 and go down to verse 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. You also likely notice as we read this passage, it's the first mention of a woman in this list. Abel had no wife. His life cut short by his brother's attack. Enoch and Noah both had wives, 
and fathered children, but we never hear of these women's names or anything else about them. But of Sarah, we are blessed to hear much in Scripture. It's not by accident that Sarah and Rahab are mentioned in this list. So don't think for a moment that we're going to skip these women because these women have a great deal to teach us. And Abraham and Sarah are going to be combined in our message this morning, not just because they're married and as such one flesh, but also because they both are accomplishing the same kind of common denominator as far as pointing to the faith. They both point to the faith according to the promises of God. The idea of Abraham living life according to the promise of God seems familiar to you. It would likely because we touched on this already. At the beginning of this year in January, we looked at Hebrews 6, which deals greatly with this. And when we looked at this chapter, I'd mentioned that Hebrews 6 was talking something about Abraham, but the passage itself wasn't about Abraham. It was about God. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to make this about Abraham. The core of that message was that there's nothing on this earth that can be totally trusted. There's nothing at all on this earth that can be totally trusted except for the Lord and His promises. The Lord has shown us that He is indeed the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. Well, while Hebrews 6 wasn't about Abraham, our passage this morning most definitely is about Abraham. He's being held up specifically as an example this morning. And we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah. We'll seek to understand how we can grow in faith. That is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And how by looking at Abraham and Sarah, we can end up looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And obviously, and this will be a pattern that you'll probably be used to by now, want to hear about Abraham, you have to go back to Abraham's story. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I promise this wasn't intentional, the whole 75-year-old thing, Rick. I'm not telling you you have to go on some great pilgrimage, I promise. Oh, you got a good walking stick. That's good to hear. But this in chapter 12 is the call of Abraham. We refer to it today as the Abrahamic covenant. And part of my temptation this morning was to jump down and just kind of take the breadth of Abraham's story and jump into the promise he receives in Isaac, the oath and the almost sacrifice of Isaac on the mountain. A tremendously moving story. But we're not there yet. Verses 17 and following in Hebrews 11, we'll we'll get to that. 
But this is long before Abraham gets to that part of his life. And the important thing to recognize here is Abraham receives this promise from God. And he receives this promise with no sign, no hint yet of fulfillment. This is just a promise. God tells you, get up and go. Abraham, a 75-year-old man, is visited by God and said, get up and go. And also recognizing here that up until now in our list, we've been talking about men whose lifespans approach the millennium mark. Almost a thousand years old, some of these men. But Abraham only lived to the ripe old age of 175. And that's what it calls it in Scripture. It's the ripe old age of 175. Sarah, his wife, only to 127. So it's not like at 75 years old, he was just hitting his teenage years here. He was 75 years old, and he was feeling 75 years old. He was approaching the end of his life. And also, we obviously are going to get to the story of Sarah, and with them at this point, her childbearing years were, seemed to be naturally concluded. And we can definitely gather this by when God tells them that they're going to have a kid, both Abraham and Sarah independently in their stories proceed to laugh at God and say, yeah, that's not how that works. But Abraham, at this point, is reaching the end of his life. I have the blessing in this church of looking around and seeing a few gray hairs represented in the crowd. And I recognize that at this end point of his life, he's likely in, I don't know what retirement would have looked like back then. There probably wasn't actual retirement, but he's kind of started to settle down. I think that many of you are at a place where you've settled into a home and you go, I'm not moving from here until I'm forced to, and I'm going to settle down in this house, live my life out here, Lord willing, I can die still being in a house that I can take care of by myself, and if I have to, I'll move to a, to a assisted living situation. But it's at this stage, God comes to Abraham and tells him, whatever settled life you've got going on, I don't know what the retirement life looked like at that point, but whatever settled thing you've got going here, it's time to move. He'd likely never planned on moving again, certainly not to Canaan. This trip would have crossed nations, and just the trip alone would have taken several months and possibly even years to complete if you follow his, his journey as he gets to Canaan. It would have been a long haul to get there. And then there's this interesting tidbit, too, if you were to look at Joshua chapter 24, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah and the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. So we have a man living 
not in Canaan, a long ways away, and living what he probably would have assumed would have been his twilight years, lived in relative kind of settled comfort. And then this God shows up. Not his God, per se, but God. And when God shows up to Abraham and says, get up and go, the assumption for us would have been, well, who are you? He lived a world away from Canaan, and the Lord said to Abraham, go. There's a lot of background here to catch up on, and it's hard to wrap your mind around, but in our world today, we can, if we were to drive to Edmonton this morning, I could circumnavigate the entire globe just on commercial air flights. I could fly around the entire world in 45 hours. And that's not just hopping on a high-efficiency jet and circling around the globe, but just flight to flight to flight. I could go from Edmonton all the way around back to Edmonton in about 45 hours. But that was absolutely unimaginable in Abraham's day. I mean, even bring it down a little bit further, I live a five-hour's drive to my family in Medicine Hat. Sherry lives an eight-hour drive to her family in Saskatchewan. And for us, that is definitely an inconvenience. We would love to live near our family, and there are moments where we're jealous when we look around at families who've grown up in the area and be like, oh, yeah, my mom lives over there, my dad over here, and my brothers, sisters, cousins are all around us, and our nearest family is a day's drive away. It's an inconvenience. And it makes us feel kind of isolated from our kinfolk. But then we have Abraham, who in his retirement age, he might as well have been told to move to another planet. At the command of a God that he barely knew. Get up, move to Canaan. Lord says, go. So Abraham goes. And the question that we have to ask this morning is, what could have motivated a response like that. Such a response today we'd likely call grossly irresponsible and reckless, but our passage calls it faith. It's easy to pick on Rick here because he's 75 today, but if I were to walk into Rick and say, okay, or God were to come to Rick and say, okay, we want you to move to Timbuktu. There would be a million warning bells and question marks popping up around his head. I don't know about that. I mean, God's asking me to go, so I mean, I should probably go, but there's a whole lot of logistics involved in there that would give us a real pause, and everyone else surrounding him would look at him like he's from outer space, because why would you do that at 75? Our passage calls it faith. Faith in God and faith motivated by a promise. The Lord says, go, but he also gives a promise to go along with it. Go, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in 
you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. The first question, the questions we're running through as we look at these Hall of Famers here is, one, how, how can we grow in our faith? What does this person telling us about faith? And then the second one is, how does he point us to Jesus? But looking here, how can we grow in our faith looking at Abraham? And it's spelled out right at the beginning of verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Barring everything else, without any other qualification, we absolutely need to understand this. Faith in God responds in obedience to him and his commands. Faith in God responds in obedience. There's no might, there's no often, there's no should, there is. Faith in God responds in obedience. By faith, Abraham obeyed. God says, go, so Abraham went. Jesus, as he's speaking and he's promising the Holy Spirit in John 14, he makes a couple statements that are amazing. In verse 15 of John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Before we get to any of the promises or anything, Abraham is told to go and he goes. And we have learned from Enoch's entry in this list that God does reward those who seek him. But before anything else comes into to play here, obedience is necessary. And I mean the application to our lives today is beyond obvious. Everything in our world today comes with a what's in it for me, tit for tat kind of give and take thing, this hook in it where it's, you're told to do something, it's, well, I'll lend you my leaf blower if I can borrow your weed whipper, that kind of thing going on. But that mindset only works when you're dealing with someone who has not already given you the very air that you're breathing. That kind of mindset only works when the person you're talking to isn't the one giving your very next heartbeat by his own good pleasure. If we feel like we have to look to God and see kind of where's the silver lining in his command here. Okay, God told me to get up and go but he told me to go to Hawaii, so I'll go. We're looking for kind of, okay, well, where's the silver lining in this that makes me want to follow and obey here? Well, there isn't always going to be a silver lining. And even if there is one, we might not be able to see it. If we feel like we have to have kind of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow from God here, we are woefully blind to the mercies that we are given moment by moment. Even just to, I, I love looking in planetariums and observatories and seeing how the universe spins and all that kind of good stuff. And the amount of different things that have to be in place for us to exist in our universe 
is staggering. And by God's good pleasure, it continues to spin. That's enough of silver lining for me. So, brothers and sisters, we also are told to go. And if we are listening, then we go. The obvious connection here, we are told to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. We are told to go, so we are to go. And this, it's interesting, this is not a situation that's unfamiliar to our Savior either. He was commanded by the Father to go. He was sent to this earth, and in his priestly prayer in Gethsemane, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Our own Savior came and experienced stuff that he wouldn't have wanted, he wouldn't have wanted to participate in his own execution in the most painful manner possible. But he was following the will of his father, doing the will of his father, and he willingly went to the cross that he might redeem his people. And when we are told to go, sometimes it will be a joy. Sometimes we are told to do things that we will absolutely love. I had a friend that I was in university with, and he was in the missions program, and him and his wife got the call for their internship in the missions program, and they went and did their internship in the Bahamas. It's a tough place to do a missions internship. He was told to go, and he said, how fast can I go? Sometimes we are told, go, Go and excel in business for God's glory. Grow your business and make crazy amounts of money for God's glory. And by God's grace, he does that. He picks people and he says, you are going to excel in your craft, whatever it might be. Doesn't matter whether you're an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it might be. You, he says, you are going to be really, really good at what you do. And you're going to make money doing it. And your, your business is going to be successful. And I am going to ordain that. Go and do it. And it is our job then to go and do it to the best of our abilities with everything that we have and give all the glory to God as we do it. But then other times God tells us to go, and it is the absolute last thing that we want to do. Go to work this morning and blow up the entire worksite equilibrium that you've got, this kind of little thing that you got going on by standing for your faith and sharing what you believe in your workplace. You got this kind of nice little smooth sailing thing. They know you're a Christian, but they don't bug you. You don't bug them. Go blow that up right now by making a stand for your faith on something. No, thank you. Go and do it. Go minister to your husband or wife when you two have been fighting and you know you're both wrong, but 
go and minister to them by loving them and serving them sacrificially, whether you are feeling particularly Christ-like towards them or not. Go. Go love that neighbor who's just been a thorn in your side, who won't mow their grass or always mow their grass or whatever bothers you about them. Go and love them as Christ has loved you. Sometimes we are going to love it when we're told to go. Sometimes we are going to dread it when we are told to go. But if God tells us to jump, we say, how high? Thankfully, we, like Abraham, do know that there is a promise. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. We also have a promise. And that promise gives us something to cling to, even when what is promised seems completely unattainable. We are told to go, and we can go knowing that there is a promise. It would have been an incredibly tall order for Abraham to move across the world in his old age. But he went. And the promise that was given then seemed like one that was also completely impossible to fulfill. Go and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abraham was 75 before the move. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. To become a great nation would have seemed an utter impossibility. God is promising me that he's going to make me a great nation. I'm 75 and I don't have any kids yet. I was reading Dr. Richard Phillips as he was talking about this and he wove this great scene from himself and from another man that's Donald Barnhouse that captivated me. Abram's sorrow was made especially poignant by his name, which means father of many. He was into his later years and had not fathered a single child. Long before God had promised to your offspring, I will give this land in Genesis 12, 7. But after decades, Abram had no offspring. This would have been a great source of consternation in our society. But in the Orient where Abram lived, it was a galling humiliation. Donald Gray Barnhouse notes that Abram was a prominent man in a land that was a crossroads for travelers. He imagines a likely conversation with a merchant stopping by. In the evening time, the merchants would have come to Abram's tent to pay their respects. The questions would have followed a set pattern. How old are you? Who are you? How long have you been here? When the trader had introduced himself, Abram would be forced to name himself. Abram, father of many. Must have happened a hundred times, a thousand times, and each time more galling than before. Oh, father of many, congratulations. How many sons do you have? And the answer was so humiliating to Abram, none. And many a time there must have been the half-concealed snort of humor at the incongruity of the name and the fact that there were no children to back up such a name. Abram must have steeled himself for the question and the reply and have hated the situation with great bitterness. This bitterness, this, near, this whole century of childlessness, 
must have played into the reactions that Abraham and Sarah had when they were promised children by God. Promised that Abram's line would become a great nation. They both laughed. In Genesis 17, 17, Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? We read this and we hear they laughed. But this wasn't a... That's funny, God. This was the laugh of, what do you mean you're going to give me a child? I have prayed every day for a child. My name means father of many, and I have none. Genesis 18, verse 11 and 12. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Even in their absolutely incredulous and pained laughter response, our passage tells us that by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The reality is, is there are many of us who have asked the question of when is God going to fulfill his promise? Whatever promise it is that you've been holding on to. And... Some of us have been looking for a particular silver lining. The story of Abram and Sarah hits incredibly close to home. And there is no easy answer to some of these things. There is no pat, well, God promises that you will have a pile of children. God promises that you will succeed in business all, whatever it might be that you have been struggling with, there's no easy pat answer that will make it okay. To Abraham and Sarah, God gave them a promise, I will give you a family and you will become a great nation. And God was faithful to that promise. We do not receive any such promise of health, wealth, and happiness in this world. But we do receive other promises. Better promises. How many of us find ourselves doubting the promises of God? Scripture is full of promises, and while not all of those promises apply directly to us, we are not the audience of every promise found in Scripture. You can't just flip through and say, okay, God promised to Abraham and Sarah, and we've all sung the Father Abraham, and I am one of them, so if it's a promise to Father Abraham, it's a promise to me, and I can just take that and apply it to my life. That's not how that works. But God does give plenty of promises that we can apply wholeheartedly to our life. Promises that apply to all who would have faith in him. Here are a few. James 1.5, 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, if you need God's wisdom, ask and he will give you wisdom. Hebrews 13.5, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Perhaps the greatest, Luke 12.40, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. These promises and many others throughout Scripture are for us this morning, but even them, they sometimes seem impossible. And sometimes the promises may even seem to have gone unfulfilled. Jesus promised that he will return. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later. And I'm sure the disciples by the end of their lives went, okay, Jesus, any time now. But the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we don't always understand the ins and outs of God's promises. But we can trust in them wholeheartedly nonetheless. The Lord promised Abraham that he would become the father's, father of nations at 75. And 25 years later, he sees his first son born. I'm not here to stand up and say, whatever you're praying for, God will give it to you if you just pray hard enough. God may not give it to you. God always answers prayer, but sometimes his answer is no. But I am here to promise that if you look in Scripture for God's promises, you will find that silver lining that God has given you another day, and he has promised a future for his people. And whatever you're looking forward to today, it pales in comparison to the promises that he has given you in eternity. If you have placed your hope and your trust in him, whatever you're facing in this life, as painful as it may be, as difficult as it may be, as confusing as it may be, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There might not be a light in the tunnel itself. Maybe there is, maybe there won't be. But there is definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. It's, why am I bringing up this idea of God's promises? Because the promises of God are meant to help us serve and to motivate us in our obedience to God. It is true that we are to obey God regardless of anything else. God says, go, we go. But God also knows his creation, and he has not just said, go, and that's it. He has said, go, and this is what I have for you. Apostle Peter said to our Lord in Luke 18, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. 
So as you and I serve our Lord and our Savior today, it becomes incredibly important for us to know the Scriptures, to spend time in God's Word because the promises in here are going to be what get you through what you experience in this life. Because if you haven't yet experienced heartbreak in this life, you will. No one gets out of this life unscarred, unscathed, and most certainly no one gets out alive. You are going to experience heartbreak and pain, and eventually you are going to experience death unless our Savior comes back first. And if you want to persevere in your faith, if you want to continue to obey God, then you will search this book for the promises of God that will get you through. Regardless of the trials or our day-to-day life, we follow the commands of our Lord, we obey, and we obey with a promise. Even just the fact that he offers these promises to his people as kind of a tether in the storm should be enough to let us know that the Christian life is not going to be one of smooth sailing. If I get in someone's boat and they hand me a life jacket and tell me to buckle up, I should know that I'm not in for some leisurely pleasure cruise. It's okay, we're going to go now. And we should know that God has given us these promises because he knows that our world is going to take us for an incredibly bumpy ride. And we hold on to his promises as we obey. And when we are tempted to turn back or turn away, and we absolutely will be tempted, we have his promises to keep us true to our original purpose. Remember that the entire book of Hebrews is singing this song of perseverance in the faith, holding fast your confession and your hope until the end, steadfast assurance and conviction in faith. The constant question is how we can confirm our calling and our election in this faith. And the answer is that we, like Abraham, must obey And we maintain our obedience by clinging to the promises of God. So brothers and sisters, cling to these promises found in Scripture. Just as Abraham clung to God's promises when being commanded to move to a foreign land a lifetime away from anything else he knew, the way Sarah clung to God's promises, desperately hoping for a son and saying, God said he would give one, so I consider him faithful. I love that. She went, God's faithful, so he will do it. Consider God faithful, like Sarah. Obey God, like Abraham. And in all of these things, our eyes to be turned toward Jesus. If you want to know the character of the one who both gives the commands and also must be obeyed, the one who has made the promises to those who are supposed to obey him, Jesus is our window. 
He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the same one who willingly laid down his life, the one who had authority to take his life back up again. He is the one who, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our Jesus is the one who both commands us and who has given us these promises. So I hope, my brothers and sisters, that you are able to trust him. Trust him enough to obey his commands without any hesitation. And there will be times where you hesitate. It's the reality of us being us. We are still living in a broken and sinful world. We are still doing battle against our flesh, and God is going to give you commands, and you are going to balk, and you are going to be like a mule on the road saying, I don't want to. But I pray for your sake and for the good of God's people and for God's glory that he would give you the grace to obey when he gives you a command. Believe his words. Take him at his promises. And I pray that we will be faithful in fulfilling the great commandments to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I pray that we will be obedient to the great commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. And that as we seek to obey, that we will obey knowing that God has promised things to his people that cannot be taken away, that cannot be overruled, and that we could hold on to without any hesitation. That as we obey, that we would look to Jesus in faith for the ultimate promise of eternal life with him. I ask that our worship team would come to lead us in a closing song. It's not an easy thing to face the variety of situations that we're going to get into in this life. But it becomes much, much more bearable when we recognize that these promises found in Scripture are given for our perseverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have seen fit to reveal yourself to us, that we might even know you to obey you. You have not hidden yourself from us, but you have shown us yourself by your word. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning or any that will listen to this online either today or in the days to come whose eyes are still veiled, who have not yet seen you for who you are, that they, that veil might be pulled back by your Holy Spirit, that they might know you as you are, and that they might worship you, and that they might obey your commands. And Lord, we thank you that this faith 
that Abraham was commended for, this faith that led to his obedience, comes as a gift from you. Because we cannot drum up this kind of faith on our own. Lord, grant us the gift of faith that we might obey. Grant us the gift of faith that we might take you at your promises. And wherever we are in this life, Lord, whether it is in the midst of joy or pain or anywhere in between, Lord, that we would cling to your promises as Abraham clung to them as he traveled for 25 years before you gave him the son that he so desperately desired. But he clung to your promises and did not forsake you. May we cling to your promises no matter what we go through in this life. Lord God, you are gracious and you are good. You are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. We ask that you would turn our hearts that we might worship you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.